Hello, everyone. I want to welcome all of our locations, West, East, Prison, and those watching online. We are so excited you joined us as we begin this new series called 167 Hours. And so to kind of help us get into this mindset is we're thinking about time and how we use our time. I kind of broke down our lives into hours. So average human being has this many years to live, and I broke it down in, in the hours, and it's 675,000 hours. And I kind of broke down kind of what we spend it on. So here you go. Nice little pie chart. There you go. Uh, so this one right here, this light blue one, 219,000 hours are spent on sleeping. Now that's an average of eight hours per night. Now some of you are like, I don't get that. Some of you are like, I get more. So it can adjust. I understand. Okay. Uh, up here, the screen one. About 52,000 hours of watching TV. 92,000 hours we spend working. Uh, 32,000 right here, eating. This little one right here, we complain about how much we have to go to school. 20,000 hours. And then this little guy, this little line right here. 2,600 hours we spend at church. And that's on average if someone goes for an hour a week for 50 years. And then this one, the big one. This is other. This is where some of your hours may be spent. If you have kids, I did the math. If the time that you have them at home from 0 to 18, 157,000 hours is spent with your kids. But then you've got others in there. You've got your hobbies. You've got other relationships. You've got all that. And so if you just kind of look at this, it's interesting how time plays out. And it's actually kind of a scary conversation. It becomes real, real fast. And so I, here's my hope. I hope that you're willing to go on this journey with me. As we kind of discuss time and discuss, okay, God, you gave us just a certain amount of time. What are we supposed to do with it? How are we supposed to navigate it? How can we make the most out of our relationship? So where our time becomes more of a conversation about the impact that I think God wants us to have. Because I believe this. He talked about this in the Bible. I want you to look at this passage in Ephesians. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, this comes from a guy named Paul. He spent his life trying to get the gospel everywhere, gave his life towards it. So if you want somebody who gave his time to something important, here's an example. And he gave us this scripture of going, live a life worthy of this calling. You may be wondering, okay, what is this calling? Because you got the word calling, you got called in there. Well, let me show you that. It comes from Matthew 22. Jesus said this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the calling that God puts on all Christians. He doesn't get into the specifics. This is just pretty general. He says you need to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You need to love others. And then if you're going, okay, so how does this play out? What does this look like? Jesus explained this as well. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Then he gives another analogy about light. So check this out. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light. Bring the God colors into the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on the light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. 
I walked through that quickly just so you can get an idea how much God cares about the time he's given you. He believes it has purpose. He believes it has so much meaning. And so here's what I want us to hear. We need to reclaim the 167 hours. Because some of you may be like, what's 167? What is that? Well, here's the reality. In your given week, you have 168 hours. You're spending one hour here. What are you going to do with the other 167? And I want us to reclaim it. I want us to own it. And I know in a conversation like this, the next part of this would be is like, okay, well, let's, let's look at your schedule. What does your schedule look like? And some of you would probably pull out your family calendar that's up on the fridge, and it may look like this. You know it's reality. Some of us just cringed a little bit. You're like, oh, gosh. Oh, that looks painful to look at. But this just, see, it's just chaotic. You're trying to fit everything in. But some of you might be like, well, no, I... Paper, pen, please. You have a Google calendar, and it looks like this. Back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings. Or you just have all of this stuff on our calendar. And as I was preparing for this, it is... (laughs) Busyness is such an interesting thing to us. It's starting to become such a value. Because I was doing some research, and, and there was a survey that I came across, and they did it in 2016. And the survey was just kind of looking at, is busyness seen as kind of a higher status? And so they did some unique uh, experiments with it. Uh, first one was just kind of this simple, like, couple sentences just to see who would pick which one. And so here it is, just to kind of read it off to you. Two statements, and pe- people would pick which one they see as a higher status. Jeff works long hours and his calendar is always full. The other statement was this, Jeff does not work and has a leisurely lifestyle. Both could imply that you have some higher status. The working long hours one was picked most of the time. That was seen as higher status. This kept going and they kind of compared even the headphones that you pick. If you have a wireless Bluetooth headphones, as opposed to the wired headphones. Those are seen as higher status because it looks like you're busy. You're not just leisurely listening to music or anything. No, you've got things to do. You've got things to accomplish, conversations to be had. And then the other one was simply how you got your groceries. If someone went the route of picking a company like Peapod, where they, not only you can order your groceries online, they'll deliver them to you, was seen as a higher status than getting it at an expensive store like Whole Foods. So these experiments just kind of kept playing out. And then what was the really, like, mind-boggling one is they compared Americans to Italians. Because Americans were the ones that were tested in these first three experiments, and all of them were picking this, hey, busyness, this higher status is seen that way. When they compared it to a different country, the Italians, the Italians always picked the leisure ones. They sold that as more of a higher status. But in America, we see this busyness. And I don't, hear me, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's wrong. Because I know I do it. I know I fill my schedule. There's times where my Google Calendar or our family calendar looks like that. I think part of it, what's inside me, and I think you can relate to this, I want to experience everything. I don't want to miss out on anything. 
So I fill my calendar. I'm, I'm hoping all of this will be able to go, I, w- I want to be part of that, I want to be part of that, I want to be part of that. That's awesome. It's amazing. But if we're not careful, we do a lot of good things, but never the great thing, the most important thing. And so our busyness, I think, sometimes may get in the way of us understanding how valuable our time is. So I kind of put it this way. Our 167 hours has too much busy and not enough purpose. Where we're quick, and and I'm guilty of this, we are quick to fill our schedules with stuff because we think that's important. That makes us feel like we're accomplishing things. But I think it becomes dangerous. And we've got to wrestle with, are these hours more about being busy? Are these hours accomplishing the purpose God has for us? And so in this conversation, uh, God kind of revealed a portion of Scripture that I want us to just sit on for a while. Because it comes from uh, a pretty unique uh, person in the Bible that many of you probably won't connect. Like, why time with him? The guy's name is Moses. We know Moses Mostly, if you've grown up in the Bible, you know he had this epic battle with the Egyptians, eventually won, took the Israelites out of Egypt. Correct. But what you don't know, maybe, is he lived 120 years. A pretty unique perspective on life, a pretty long time, longer than probably most of us will get. And if you were to divide his life into kind of sections, there's four main sections to his life. The first section is simply his time that he got to spend, got to spend with the Pharaoh and his family. There's a unique circumstance where he got to be with royalty, got to be in this uh, awesome opportunity to be in luxury and, and live that kind of lifestyle. He got that for the first 20 years of his life. Then he does something stupid, gets into a fight with an Egyptian, kills him, and runs away. And the next 40 years of his life is pretty much spent in hiding. He becomes a shepherd and does the same thing every day for 40 years. Goes out, takes the sheep, watches the sunrise, and goes, this is great, this is great, this is great. Sunset, all right, everybody come back. That was his life. That was the life of a shepherd. You just took care of the sheep, made sure no, none of the sheep died, kept them there, watched the sunrise, watched the sunset, and take them all back. And then in the next stage of his life, he gets this opportunity, God calls him and says, I want you to go to deliver my people out of Egypt, has the epic showdown that we most of us know about. But that's 20 years of his life, then spends the next 40 lost in the wilderness with the whole nation of Israel. Now, for those of you who are like business leaders or just lead a coach, whatever, how miserable does it sound? 40 years of trying to lead people somewhere and you don't even know where you're going. Every day he's like, I hope we get there. But we just seem to be circling. So you just look at his life. Eventually, he, him and God has this conversation, and God's like, I want you to write about time because your experiences have been unique. And so he gives a lot of wisdom, and he wrote a psalm, and it's Psalm 90. And I simply want you to listen to the beginning of this. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, just some beautiful imagery there. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. 
He starts off by pointing out, see, God is everlasting to everlasting. So you think about your time here on earth. Let's just going to say that's it. God's been everything before. He's there. And everything after you is there. God's been there. Everlasting to everlasting. God is the creator of time. And we get this short window right here. And he keeps kind of pointing it out, if you go back to that scripture, real quickly. Return dust, you mortals. Pointing out, he's like, I'm the one that will create you, and I will the one that will someday send you back to dust. He has that power. He has that ability. And then the last part, a thousand years to us, seems like just a short period of time to God. To where it even says, like, if you're wondering what's a watch in the night, that's like three to four hours in the night. Giving this perspective of don't forget who God is, how powerful he is. To where our concept of time is in this small window, we care about this small little bit of time. But God's been caring about time since he created it. But then it keeps going. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, and the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. (laughs) When I read this, all I could think about was this is great timing because we're in spring. And most of us, the the snow has melted, and we're looking at our yard, and we're going, ooh, that is looking pretty rough, especially for my yard because we have a lovely dog. Um... And he loves to pee in the same exact spot, or I should say spots. And so when the snow melts, I'm always like, same spot every time. The dog's name is Huntley, and I'm like, Huntley, really, why can you not spread your wealth of pee? Just spread it all over the yard. Not just in one specific, because you keep doing that, and that's what kills the grass. So eventually, every spring, this is what happens. I go find those dead spots because you're trying to see, like, will it make it through the winter? Will it survive? And, and so then you realize it's not. It's dead. It's very yellow. Um, and so you dig up the grass. And then you put the new seed down. And then you start to kind of watch, start to bud, and you, and you see these little grass pieces. But you've got to be very careful with this because I've got three children, too. So as this grass is budding, here's the deal. I can't have anybody go walk on it, play on it. My dog can't pee on it. No one can touch this grass because it's very, 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 very. Could die at any moment. So it needs a lot of help. And so it needs the right amount of water, it needs the right amount of sun, it needs all of that. And you realize how much control we can have in this process. Some of it we can't control the water, some of it we can't control the sun. But you put that in perspective, God is comparing us to like grass, to where our lives are so short in the whole scheme of time. And he's pointing out, be careful about getting so obsessed here and demanding a lot of things here and forget about who God is and forget about the whole idea of time. Because reality is this, God controls the number of our days. Whether you believe in God or not, this becomes a reality. I've seen it play out, being a pastor, as someone gets to the end of their lives. 
There's that time where they're asking, pleading with God. Whether they believe or not, there begins to be a prayer. God, for some reason, I think you are connected to the days that I get. Can you give me more? And so I hope that reality begins to set in. I know this conversation can be difficult, but I also don't want us to avoid it. Because every matter, every hour should matter in our lives. It's so critical for us to begin to wrap our minds around, no, God's given us this special amount of time, and Moses is helping us see this. Don't forget who God is, because he controls the number of days we have. He controls that. But then Moses keeps going. Our days may come to 70 years or 80, if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Now this beginning part, you can kind of see, okay, he's pointing out many of us will probably have 70 years or 80 years to live if our strength endures. And yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. Because that can be reality in our lives. We have some good moments and then we have some frustrating moments. You look at Moses' life, he goes, yeah, I walked through both of those. Started off pretty great, then made a huge mistake and hid for a long time. Then God gave me an opportunity, and then I was lost for 40 years. Life can be so up and down, so exhilarating, but then also so like frustrating. And then this last part, let's be honest, we struggle with this. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Many of us are like, what is he saying? Why are we talking about anger? Why are we talking about wrath? And I, I studied this, and as much as it's translated this, it is hard to translate this he, Hebrew scripture into English. And so to sum it up, the best way I could describe it, because Moses' idea of God was maybe slightly different than how we see God. And it's actually helpful for us to hear his perspective. I put it this way. When we see God for who he is, we give him the honor he is due. That's what Moses is getting at. Because Moses would have understood it's like, I don't have any control over this. My life can be over like that. Because God wants it to be. He has power. He can have anger. That's an emotion he can have. But we don't like that. But the reality is simply this. There is some reverence. There is some awe that God deserves. We like to talk about the love of God and how amazing the grace but there is this power side to him. And to be honest, we're very thankful for it. Sometimes we struggle with the decisions that he makes with it. The reality is that's how we're here. We're created through his power. We're able to live life through his power. Justice comes from him. And so we have to recognize we got to see God for who he is. Because that's how Moses, he understood the fullness of God's power. Recognize he did not know that Jesus was going to come to the earth, do everything that he was going to do. We know that. Moses didn't. And so Moses' understanding of God would have been more on the power side, and he controls everything. We talk a lot about the love, and I go, remember, God is both. And to put it in the context that we're talking about, I, I summed it up this day. When we trust God for who he is, we use our time for his glory. If we were to recognize how powerful God is, and recognize the time that he holds in his hand. He could give us life. He could take away life. 
we would go, man, the time that we do have, God, I want to glorify you with it. I want to give it to you. And Moses gets to this point, and he set it all up. He's like, if you see God this way, and if, if you understand time in this light, you can begin to walk out some pretty amazing wisdom. Because this next verse is where Moses wants it all to land. It's in verse 12. Teach us to number our days. Now, we are good at this in some aspects of our life. We have a countdown to the wedding day. We have a countdown to graduation. We have a countdown to retirement. And we're all like, man, we need to get there, we need to get there, and we'll count those days. But when it comes to life, how long we have, we don't like counting that. That gets a little bit hard. It just seems like a negative conversation. But Moses is saying, no, 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 you need to number your days. Because when you start to number them, that is when you recognize the time that I do have needs that purpose. And so here's the danger that I see that I've, I've done in my life, and I think you can connect with it too. We know time is limited. We know it. But we act like it is infinite. We keep thinking, oh, I'll have time for that. If I just get through these years, then I'll make time for that. If I get, just get through this tough season, then I'll have time for that. And whatever that is, it's probably the most important thing you need to be doing. But we always kind of push that off. We push off sometimes needing to spend time in the relationships that need care. We push off maybe even doing the work that, the extra work that needs to get done. We push off some of the important things. And the reason Moses said this, the reason he wants us to number our days, because there is a purpose. It's not just, hey, just number them. It will be good for you. There's a big lesson that comes out of it. Look at this. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We would have the wisdom to know what we should put our time towards. Because I think that's the ultimate question, right? You sit there with your time and you're going, what do I give this to? Do I give it to this? This seems important, but this also seems important. This also seems important. This also seems important. And Moses goes, yeah, I know. I've been there. I sat there and went, God, how do I make the right decisions in this? How do I avoid 40 years of being lost? How do I avoid 40 years of just watching the sunrise, sunset, and being a shepherd? How do, how do I make the most out of those 20 years that I have that were great? Whatever time frames you want to put in your life. And Moses is going, but see, it's all about gaining the right perspective, the right wisdom in those moments. And that's why God's going, I would love to help you with that. Because I've got the 30,000 foot view, always. I see how relationships will play out. I see how your job will be important. I see the purpose I have for you. And are you willing to let me in? Are you willing to build this relationship to where we begin to trust each other and I can show you how to have a heart of wisdom. Because reality is, there isn't this just like, okay, if I number my days, God will give me wisdom, and I'll be able to figure it all out. No, not exactly. What you learn in this is you would learn to rely on God. And God shows you how to navigate your life. I kind of summed it up this way. 
We need to seek God for wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. We need him. Because reality is all of us are in different phases of life, different stages, different areas. And so what you need to add or what you need to subtract, what you need to increase, what you need to decrease, that's going to be different for all of us. Some of us may need to stop being so busy. Some of us may need to pour into the work that God's put in front of us. Pour into the relationships. Everything seems to always have seasons with it, right? Seasons of, man, I've got to work on the relationships I have. I've got to work on the job that God's given me. There's just seasons to it. And that's the part is like, I don't think we have the wisdom on our own to figure it out. Because we try, and we try, and we try, and we get frustrated, don't we? And God's going, I want to show you the wisdom, but you first need to learn to number your days. There's a lady who experienced this that I think is important to bring up. Her name is Bronnie Ware. Now, some of you may have heard of her, some of you may not, but she's written uh, a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. But before that, she was looking for meaningful work. She got tired of finding, being part of jobs that just felt like they had no purpose to them. So eventually she lands with, <laughs> this is just funny, no training or no experience at all, but lands in hospice care where she is helping those who are on their kind of their final days. And through the conversations that she had, they eventually led to her to realize that there are some common regrets that people have when they get close to the end of their life. And there was two in particular that I wanted to point out. That, and I want to start with the second one. These were the top two, but here was the second one. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And she walked through this regret with um, so many people. And I wanted to share a quote from just, it's a blog that later became a book. And so here's what she wrote. This came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret. But as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much time of their lives on the treadmill of a work experience. And the reason I tell you these things, because I know it may be hard, it may be even feel guilty on some levels, is because this regret can be avoided. That's why this conversation is so important. It's tempting to start chasing after what seems important or what seems to be the most viable thing in your life. But God may be pressing in and being saying, be careful with this. Because if you fast forward your life, here's what I just did. I just gave you the wisdom that you probably wish when you get towards the end of your life that you go, I wish I would have practiced today, currently. And that becomes the reality we face. But then here's the number one regret. And, and I want everyone to pay back attention. Maybe you kind of got off track or whatever. You're really stuck on the dog peeing. I don't know. But I want you to come back because this regret all of us can relate with, no matter age. Here it is. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the lives others expected of me. For many of us, you can think back to that middle school, high school, even college days to where maybe some of us, I was guilty of this, we lived our lives 
hoping other people would recognize us, hoping other people would find us valuable. And we spend so much time doing that. And let's be honest, even after some of these younger years, as adults, we sometimes do the same thing. Wish we had the courage to live a life true to myself. Here's a quote from Barani that explained it even a little bit more. This was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices that they had made or not made. And this last part stuck with me. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. So one of those things that as you read it, you go, all of that is true. And the reason that hits home is just the true nature of that statement. But I hope we begin to realize just how important this conversation is. Although many of us, I'm included, we try to avoid it. Don't like to talk about it. We don't want to count our days. But there is a lot of wisdom in doing it because it changes your perspective to being, well, I hope it works out, to being, God, I need your help. I want to live a life with purpose. I want to live a life where I engage in relationships, engage in my, in my work, in my purpose that you have for me in the right way. Because here's what I do know. If we don't number our days, we will quickly mismanage our time. If we don't number our days, we will quickly mismanage our time because we will think we will always have more. And we begin to fill our schedules with things that are like, ah, I think that's important. I don't know, though. We'll see. And so I hope that you begin to see how important this is of a conversation this is with God. Conversation, I think it is even between us. And asking yourself, okay, God, is the time you've given me, am I using it? for your purpose? Am I using it for the purposes it should be used for? Because we only have this short time, but the beautiful part is, God, you are everlasting to everlasting. And hear me, don't forget this hope, that we do get eternity with God if we choose to have a deep relationship with him. So he's going, what you do here matters to the rest of eternity too. I want to spend eternity with you. This is God having this conversation. He wants to spend eternity with you. But what he's looking for is can we have a relationship to where we can talk about time, where I can show you the important things to do and to spend your time on the right things. And even if you're like, I've totally messed this up. I'm so old right now. I don't even know how to fix this. God's going, I can help you too. Age is not a conversation in this. Because God, remember, he's the creator of time. He can give you the days that you need. He can do whatever he needs to in your life. So to me, that's the power of this conversation. And being reminded, I have 167 hours every week. What am I going to do with that? And there's been many people who have done different things where they've taken marbles. And they've measured out like, okay, life expectancy and every marble represented a week and then at the end of the week they'd take a marble out and be like okay what did I do with this week and throw it away 
Or I've seen some apps now to where you can put in your kids and, and they'll kind of even calculate the weeks that you have and it will just kind of be this constant reminder. You have this time. And I think those things are good because it helps us number our days. And are we always going to get it perfect? No. But God is with us. God wants a relationship with us to guide us through this. And so to help us, kind of if you're wondering, okay, what do we do about this? Throughout this series, there's going to be a card that's handed out. And it has to do with you spending time with God. Because that is one of the best things that you can do with this 167 hours. And so uh, the LPs... Uh, at these locations, they'll, they'll come and explain kind of what this card will look like. But here's what I want you to do with this card. As you get it today, and you look at the times of connecting with God, I simply want you to wrestle with four questions because this is how you apply the idea of every hour matters, where you have this conversation with God. Four questions I want you to wrestle with, and you can write them down, you can take a picture of them, whatever you would like to do. But here are the four questions. What needs to be added? What needs to be subtracted? What needs to decrease? And what needs to increase? Simple conversations with God where we're going, God, you see my schedule. You see where I'm giving my time. What needs to be added? What needs to be subtracted? What needs to be decreased? What needs to be increased? In your time with God, I simply want you to ask those four questions. Because that moves you to maybe a better conversation with God. Saying, God, I give you my time. I want you to have it. Help me to navigate in a way that honors you. So church, I hope that you'll join in me because man, I'll be the first one to admit, I do not have this perfect. But I understand the importance of it. And I hope that moves. There's, there's a character piece in me that says, if I believe in God, I have to navigate this conversation. I have to say, God, that my time is yours. You've given it to me. I want to honor you. I want to honor you with every hour you've given me. I may not do it perfect, but I will strive to follow you in this because I know you'll give me wisdom and you'll give me the right heart. So church, I hope that you'll join with me and take this challenge on and we begin to see how every hour matters and how God is moving in the time that he's given you. Let me pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for being the God that you are. It is incredible to think about that you are the creator of time. And sometimes that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Because God, we have so many why questions. Why do you give us uh, this time? Why did you only give us this time with this person? Why did you only give us this time? We would love to be able to control the time. But the reality is we can't. So God, instead of avoiding the conversation, May we learn to embrace it. May we say, God, we need your help. We don't want to live lives full of regrets. We want to live life that honor you. And so, God, you promised us if we number our days, you will give us, you will help us find this wisdom that we need. And so, Lord, I pray that we would all be willing to chase after that be willing to find that. And God, thank you for giving us all these scriptures. Thank you for giving us this ability to have a relationship with you and walk through this. God, we love you and we pray all this in your name. Amen.